Colossians chapter 1 this morning. We'll start reading in the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much now for the opportunity to look at the word. And I pray in just these few minutes that we have remaining, that you'll guide our thoughts. Pray you'll help us, Father, to concentrate. And I pray, Father God, that you'll help us to see some truth, some vital truth, some wonderful truth about what took place on Christmas Day. And we'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder this morning if you remember the old game show, Password. Anybody remember that old show? I used to like that show. One person would have knowledge of a, of a certain word, and he would have to, or she would have to give clues to their partner, one-word clues, an attempt to get them to guess the meaning. Well, I want to talk about a word this morning, and that's the word Incarnation. Incarnation. It's a word that would actually take far more than a simple one-word clue to define. It's a big word. It's a difficult word. Webster's, in their dictionary, defines incarnation as the union of divinity with humanity in Jesus Christ. You understand that concept? It's a big word. Charles Ryrie says the incarnation was the way in which Christ took on humanity. The word means in flesh, and the method of the incarnation was the virgin birth. Incarnation in flesh. 
We've said it before, and it bears repeating here, that little baby that was born, uh, that was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, laid in a manger in Bethlehem, was fully God and fully man. He was God incarnate, God in the flesh. As Bible-believing Christians, we, we say we believe in the virgin birth, and we do. We believe Jesus to be fully God and fully man. We have sometimes used the terminology, we believe he was 100% God. And he was 100% man. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a, a preacher in Britain for a long time, he's with the Lord now, but he said, In the womb of the Virgin Mary, and lying as a helpless babe in the manger, he is still the second person in the Holy Trinity. Can you get your brain around that? That's an amazing thought. The incarnation. Don't feel inferior if you can't, because... None of us really can totally understand this concept. I'm not sure we can even come close. Martin Luther said the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. And I think I'd have to agree with that. How could we ever understand it? Well, Paul gave us some clues, and I just want to mention just a couple of things here from what we just read in Colossians, and uh, we'll be as quick as we can, and then we'll let you get home to your families. But uh, two things that he mentioned here. I don't know if you notice in verses 15 and following. He said he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I think what he was saying there, and maybe it helps us to understand this word a little bit. I think he was saying, see the baby, you see God. See the baby, you see God. He is the image of the invisible God. When we see Christ, we see God. Remember the story of Thomas? We always think of Thomas as doubting whenever we think of that particular apostle because he doubted uh, that Jesus had ra been raised from the dead. But uh, there's also a, a story of Thomas, uh, a little uh, happening that occurred, when he said to Jesus one day, he says, you know, Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, it'll, it'll suffice us. And Jesus, and I, 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 I can't help when I read that story, I can't help thinking he's just a little bit exasperated there. He says, Thomas, have I been so long with you, and you don't get it? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And we think about that, and it's an amazing thought as he's standing there after he's had three years of ministry and all the amazing things he's done, and we think about him then, and it's hard for us to get our brain around that. But what about when he's lying in that little manger? He's a helpless baby. It's just as true. See the baby. See the father. See the baby. See God. Philip Yancey says it like this. He says, imagine for a moment becoming a baby again giving up language and muscle coordination and the ability to eat solid food and to control your bladder. God, as a fetus, on that day in Bethlehem, the maker of all that is, took form as a helpless dependent. I don't understand that, but I sure thank the Lord for it. See the, see the baby, see God. He goes on, he says one other thing. And this would be in verse, uh, where would this be? Verse number 19, which is kind of our text for this morning. It pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. We see the baby and we see God. That verse tells me we see the baby. We see all of God. All of God. As I was searching my Bible uh, for a Christmas message for Christmas Day, I came across this passage. And as I came across this passage, I could not help but be struck by one word in that passage. That's the word fullness. Fullness. Did you notice that? It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. 
And the minute I saw that and my brain kind of settled on that word, I remembered that there's another verse that we oftentimes use at Christmas time where that same word occurs. It's in Galatians chapter 4. It says, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. In that passage, that word fullness tells us that just at the right time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. We used to sing a cantata here years ago, had a chorus in one of the songs that said, at the right time, at the best time, he came. And that's what it means there, fullness. But here, in uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 19, it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. I think it's a different thought. I think in this uh, use of the word fullness, we see the extent of the incarnation. That little baby wasn't just part God. wasn't just part man. That little baby was all God. All that is God was in him. I I can't get my brain around that. Can you? The fullness of God. Eugene Peterson says this. We look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. In his paraphrase, the message of Colossians 1.19, he says this uh, of that verse. So spacious is he, so roomy. That everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Everything of God finds its proper place in him. I I don't know if that helps. I don't know if that makes it any clearer or not. It's hard to imagine we could really improve on Paul's words. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. So we see the baby, we see God. We see the baby, we see all of God. All of God. And so here it is, Christmas Day, 2011. And we all probably have turkeys and hams in the ovens back home, and we're all wondering right now, you know, what are we going to do about that? What does that mean to me? How do I apply that in these few minutes here this morning as we worship here? And I would, I would just suggest three different responses that we ought to have to that, to this incarnation that we celebrate here this morning. The first is obviously belief. Believe. Mary was told about the the pending incarnation. We read about that last night, and as we read the the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. She was told about the pending incarnation, and she was told it would occur, and she believed it. Joseph was told the same story. We didn't read that. That's in Matthew chapter 1. We didn't read it last night. He was told the same story, and he too believed it. And just as we saw in the video this morning, it was unbelievable, but they believed it. They believed it. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that Joseph was given exactly the same explanation. And as we read the story, I'm afraid we often forget to observe the extraordinary faith of Joseph. He believed the angel's message. He accepted it without any hesitation, and he proceeded to act upon it. Our first response needs to be to believe it. Believe it. See that baby for who he was. Our second response needs to be to receive it. Receive it. If we were to spend time here in Colossians, we would see some of the reasons that he came. He came to reconcile us with our Father. He came to end the war in which we were engaged with our God. He came to bring peace. He came that we who were lost might be saved. We need to believe that. But we need to go beyond mere intellectual assent. We need to receive it. Isn't that what John says? John chapter 1, verse number 12. To as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That baby 
in whom all the fullness of God dwells and dwelt, was not just a historical figure. He was not just there to show us God in some academic sense. He was God, reaching out to us, offering us the way home, offering us the first and best Christmas gift that's ever been given. But unless we receive a gift, we don't have it. I thought this morning, I had this grand scheme, that I was going to stand up here at the beginning of the message and I was going to hold out a $20 bill. And I was going to say, this is here for anybody who wants it. And just see if anybody would come and get it. I'm sure somebody would have. But I cheapened out on you and I decided I didn't want to give up my $20 bill. So you just have to imagine that I did that. But if I had done that, only the person who had taken it would have the $20. Everybody else who's sitting here would have lost out because they didn't receive it. We need to receive the gift. And I wonder this morning, it's Christmas morning. I imagine most people who have come to church on Christmas morning already know the Lord as their Savior. Already know Him. That little baby. You've already received that gift. But there might be somebody here who hasn't. And if right now you're saying, you know, I'm not even sure what that means. I'm not sure I understand it. Please don't leave this place thinking that this morning. I'll be hanging around afterwards. Come and ask me. Let me, let me take the Bible and show you. And, and if you don't want to talk to me, uh, find one of these other uh, friends, brothers, sisters that are here. Somebody's carrying a Bible. Walk up to him and grab him by the arm and say, hey, you know how to use that thing? And ask him to show you how you can know. Because you need to receive it before it's too late. And then the third. We need to believe it. We need to receive it. And the third and the final response we must have to this incarnation is we need to worship. Worship. You know, Mary understood, I, I suppose, I, how could anybody understood more than her that this baby was something special and different? She knew perfectly well that that baby lying in her arms was the fullness of God. And she worshipped. The shepherds heard about it on the hillside. They went and they saw it with their own eyes. They looked at the baby lying in the manger. They saw it and they worshipped. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. Dear name, the rock on which I build, my shield and hiding place, my never-failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. Jesus, our Savior, shepherd, friend, prophet, and priest, and king, our Lord, our life, our way, our end, accept the praise we bring. Weak is the effort of our heart, and cold our warmest thought. But when we see thee as thou art, we'll praise thee as we ought. John Newton wrote those words. Did you catch that last line? When we see thee as thou art, we'll praise thee as we ought. And when we understand what that little baby was, when we get even just a glimpse in our mind of the incarnation, see the baby, see God, see the baby, see all of God. In him, all the fullness should dwell. We have to worship. We have to worship.